All right, so we are continuing on in this series called WDJD, What Did Jesus Do? And as Mark alluded to a moment ago, it's a takeoff of those wristbands that were popular back in the 90s, uh, but they had the initials WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? And in this series, we have been learning, among other things, that what Jesus did do better than anyone else was that he taught. And so we looked at how Jesus is the greatest teacher ever. And we also looked at how Jesus taught about Satan, how he taught about pride and humility. And last week, Pastor Dave was here and he did an excellent job on what Jesus taught about marriage and divorce. Today, as Laura just mentioned, we're going to look at what Jesus taught about hell. And to be honest, you know, that word hell is becoming, I think, more and more part of our vernacular. Uh, we're hearing people use that word more and more these days, especially if they're upset or angry. But when it comes to the actual place called hell, well, that, I think, is an entirely different story. Actually, I saw a survey just um, it was done this year. And it showed that over the last 25 years, the number of Americans and that includes Christians, who believe that hell is real, has dropped to 58%. 58%. Only 58% of people believe hell is real. So I think it's a good idea for all of us here to sit at the feet of our teaching master, Jesus, and as his apprentices, learn what he has to say. And I'll tell you right up front, Jesus, when he teaches about hell in the Bible, he's not just you know, throwing out some trivial information. He taught about the awful and eternal consequences that can come as a result of some very bad and dangerous decisions that we as humans can make. Now, in my message today, I'm going to do things a little bit differently in that I'm going to build my, my message around some questions that people have asked me over the years of my ministry. These are very common questions, but these are questions that people have about hell. And the first question that is a very common question, although it isn't, it's rarely spoken in these exact words, but this question reflects the expression and the concern that people have. And it's this question, why does God send people to hell? Right? Why does he do that? And that, is, that weighs heavily on a lot of people outside the church, as well as people in the church, too. And as a result, I will hear all kinds of answers. One of the more common answers that I will hear back is, well, I don't think people go to hell. I, I think I, I believe in God that is an all-loving God, and I don't believe God sends people to hell. So there you go, Pastor Zardy. I've had people say that to me. And if you think that, or if you hear somebody else say that, let me share with you a much better answer. This is the correct answer. No one wants all people to spend eternity in heaven with God as much as God. Right? Nobody even comes close. God's deepest desire, okay, let's just be clear. God's deepest desire is for everyone to be in heaven with him forever. Even if you can think up the most wicked, the most vile, the most evil person that you can imagine, okay, nobody would want that person in heaven more than God. In John 3, 17, Jesus says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him, to save everybody through him. 
2 Peter 3 verse 9 says, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. Not a single person, a single human being, but everyone to come to repentance. 1 Timothy 2 4, God our Savior wants all people to be saved. So clearly, nobody wants all people in heaven with God more than God. And as Laura alluded to in her object lesson a moment ago, that's why he sent Jesus. That's why Jesus died. Jesus died to save us from the punishment of hell that we deserve so that instead we can be given this no-strings-attached gift called heaven. So what does that mean? It means that, yes, people can go to hell if they want to, but they have to walk all the way around the cross to get there. And that's because the cross is the ultimate symbol of God's love. The cross reflects the price that Jesus paid so that heaven could be made available to everyone, everywhere. The cross is where Jesus suffered and died to take our mistakes, our failures, to take all those times when we've said, God, I don't want to do what you want me to do. I want to go things, do things my way. All of the punishment for all of our sin, Jesus covered with his blood. And, and, and so for all of you sitting here with me right now, for all of you who may be watching online right now, for anyone anywhere, what that means is that when you look to Jesus in faith and you believe that he is your personal savior, God looks at you and he does not see the filth of your sinfulness anymore. Instead, he sees the holiness, the perfection of Jesus that covers the filth of your sinfulness. So as long as you cling in faith to Jesus and the cross, you will never, ever have to worry about being eternally separated from God in hell. Heaven is your home. And it's not, because of course, it's not because of you or what you've done or who you are. It's all based on what God has done for you in Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection. Because of Jesus, you have the gift of eternal life in heaven. It's an amazing gift. But that leads me to yet a second question, very common question, and it's this. If God doesn't want anyone to go to hell, then why do people end up there? If hell is a real place, and it is, and if real people die and go there, and they do, and if God is all-loving and all-powerful, and he is, well, then why doesn't he just stop people from going there? And, and, and I hear that question a lot. And, and the short answer to that question is that Jesus, or God, takes free will seriously. When God created human beings way back at the beginning of time, he did not create a bunch of mindless robots. He gave us this gift, this powerful gift called free will so that we can make decisions on our own. And understand this, God will not violate that gift. He just won't. And so what does that mean? It means that, yes, of our own free will, we can do some pretty dumb stuff. We can make some pretty bad choices. Jesus says in John 3, this time verses 19 and 20, says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light. And that's nuts. That is so crazy. Why would anyone do that? And, it, and Jesus goes on to explain why. Because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. So people of their own free will can choose darkness over light, 
evil over good. They can make that choice. You can make that choice. And it happens. But the results of making those kinds of choices over a span of time is rather sobering. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. Look at what he says here. It says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And then Paul goes on to explain how God deals with these people who of their own free will are making these decisions that are just taking them right off the rails. In verse 24, listen to these things. Verse 24, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. Verse 26, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Verse 28, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind. Did you catch that phrase? That was repeated again and again. He gave them over. It's one of the saddest words in the entire New Testament. It's a single Greek word that means to give over, to hand over control or responsibility. Put simply, when God created us and gave us this incredible, powerful gift called free will, he also gave us that gift fully aware that he gave us the potential to reject him. So anyone at any time, can say, God, I don't want you to be my God. I don't want your wisdom. I don't want your guidance. I don't want to be in your church. I don't want anything to do with you. And it will break God's heart. But God will say, okay, that, that is not my will for you. It's never been, never will be. But it is your will. So your will be done. He gives them over. And that's why people end up in hell. It's not because God sends them there. I, people of their own free will, they, who want of their own free will to spend their, uh, their lives here on earth apart from God, will spend their lives apart from God forever in hell. Ye. There's a third common question, a uh, very common question that I've been asked as well. And it's this question. What will hell be like? And, and, I, and, I, and I want to share this question with you because it's absurd. It is absolutely absurd. But people, they believe that it would be better for them to be in hell with their friends than in heaven. They, I, I'm not kidding you. That people are deceived into thinking that in hell, of course, there's no rules, there's no Bibles, and they can do whatever they want. They are deceived into thinking that hell is like this never-ending beer commercial where they're able to just, you know, kick back, relax with their friends. And that's ridiculous. It is an absolute lie conjured by the devil. And it's a very powerful lie, and a lot of people are buying into it. Now, yes, it is true that the whole image of community and laughter and the zeal for life that is sometimes portrayed in commercials will be full, completely fulfilled in heaven. But in hell, it will be lost. There is no fun in hell. Are you kidding? There is no partying. There is no community in hell. There is no kicking back and relaxing with the buds in hell. So the answer to the question, which is a very grim answer, and again, Laura alluded to that in her object lesson. The answer to the question, what is hell like, is this. 
Hell is a place where you are utterly alone and totally separated from God. In Matthew 25, Jesus teaches a parable where heaven is described as a wedding banquet, beautiful banquet. And there's this obvious connection with joy-filled community and intimacy. But then later on in that chapter, Jesus describes hell as those who are outside of the wedding banquet hall with the doors shut and them separated. And where Jesus says in Matthew 25, verse 30, they are thrown into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So no, 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 there is no community in hell. There is no joy in hell. And worse yet, hell is a place where God is not. Hell is a place where God is not. That's huge. Because here on earth, even the wicked enjoy God's hand of protection against Satan from just going full out on him. But in hell, that's gone. In 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 9, it says, they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. So if you've ever felt the bleakness of being all alone, okay, that's just, again, like Laura said, that's just a smattering, just a, just a little hint of what hell is going to be like. Only hell is going to involve that bleakness and that loneliness forever. And then you throw into that the utter darkness that Jesus talks about and the pain that Jesus talks about in other places. And, and this is a terrifying image. It is a horrible image. In hell, you are in darkness and completely alone forever. Now that, thankfully, stands in stark contrast to heaven. You know, in Revelation 22, uh, heaven is described this way. There will be no more night Get this, they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. So in heaven, there will not be this utter darkness like there is in hell. Also in heaven, and again, Laura mentioned this, um, in, uh, unlike hell where you are separated and utterly alone and separated from God, in hell, that's not going to happen. You will never be separated from God and his love. Paul, and this is Laura's confirmation verse. How cool is that? I, we didn't even plan that. It's just worked out well. But Romans, 1, um, Romans 8, Paul says, Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is what heaven will be like, fully, perfectly, permanently. Yea, God. But another common question that people ask, and a lot of people ask this question more out of curiosity, is where is hell located? You ever wonder that? Where is hell located? Like if you dig enough, down far enough underneath the earth's crust, are you going to hit it someplace? You know, you got to dig further down into the core. And, I, you know, people don't know. So I explained to them that while it is true that heaven, I'm sorry, that hell is a real place and that real people who die and go there, Okay, you cannot get to hell through physical travel. And here's why. Like heaven, hell is a spiritual realm. Now, I know that the Bible will use imagery, uh, you know, use words like going down to describe, to hell, uh, describe hell. But I don't think that's, it's, it's not a reference to hell being somewhere deep inside the earth as much as just another horrifying image representing hell. That it involves a moral and spiritual descent beyond imagination. Beyond your worst nightmares. 
Yeah, hell is filled with pain and darkness and loneliness and separation from God. It is an awful place. And that leads me to a fifth question that people will ask me and have asked me. Why doesn't God give people a second chance after they die? Right? After they're in hell, why doesn't he give them a second chance? And, and the Bible lets us know that people have multiple opportunities to come to know who Jesus is, to repent of their sin and trust in him as their savior. Right? Acts 16.31 reminds us, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And there are multiple opportunities for people and that's what we as a church need to make sure we are doing, getting the word out so people know about Jesus and, 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 and what he has done for them. But the Bible says that after you die, there are no more second chances. Hebrews 9 says people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. That's it. There are no more second chances. Now, obviously, God, as we read a moment ago, remember 2 Peter 3, 9? God doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But what we need to understand, what we need to understand is that people, there are some people in this world who will use their free will and they will make decisions over the course of their lifetime. And those decisions harden their hearts. Those decisions will harden their hearts and it, it actually makes them incapable of repentance or even wanting God's grace. So the answer to the question, why doesn't God give people a, a second chance after they die? The answer, this is a horrible answer, but it's true. It's because hell is full of people who don't want to repent and become godly. I mean, think about it. If, if, a, if someone rejects God and is offered forgiveness of life, not just once, but over and over and over again, if they go to a church and hear the good news of God's love and they say no to that, if they open their Bible occasionally and they learn about Christ's love for them and they say no to that, if a friend you know, shares with them the power of God's grace and they say no to that friend, if they experience the wonder of God's creation, which is everywhere, and they shut their hearts to that, if the Holy Spirit is urging them and prompting them, they keep saying no to Him, then eventually we need to realize those no's over the span of a lifetime harden a person's heart. Of their own free will, they are making those choices and saying no, and it, there's just a point where a person really doesn't want anything to do with God, and they don't want a second chance. Oh. So that leads me to this last question. How is the church to respond? How are we to respond to this reality called hell? Now, first, the good news is that for all of us who know Jesus, we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, right? We are part of God's redeemed family. By the, power of the Holy, by the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, we, we are part of God's family. So, so the good news for us as to how we should respond is to live in great confidence and not fear. Right? We don't have to live in the fear of hell because we live in great confidence that heaven will be our forever home. In Matthew 16, verse 18... Um, Peter just gives this beautiful proclamation of Jesus being the, the promised uh, Messiah, the Christ, the, the Son of God. And to that, Jesus replies by saying this. On this rock, and the word rock, we refer to not Peter, but his confession of Jesus as being the Son of God, the promised Messiah. So Jesus is saying, Peter, upon what you've just confessed, 
He says, I will build my church and not even the gates of hell will stand against it. Now this reference of Christ's church is often seen as a reference to the church militant. Everybody say church militant. Yeah, yeah, okay, welcome back. So church militant is an important phrase for you to remember, and here's why. It is tempting to think of the church as kind of huddled in this small fortress with hell and darkness raging against it. And I would say, no, no, that's not true at all. I would argue just the opposite is the case. I would argue that it's hell battering against, I'm sorry, that it's heaven battering against the gates of hell. It's heaven battering against the gates of hell. It's the church of Christ and Jesus reclaiming people who would otherwise spend their, all, their eternity apart from him in hell. It's Jesus day after day passionately reclaiming one person after another. And with every person that is reclaimed, the gates of hell are battered a little bit more. And so for all of you sitting here, for all of you watching online right now, okay, while it is true that we don't have to fear hell and we live in great confidence of heaven as our forever home because of what Jesus has accomplished in our behalf, we need to never forget that there are people whom Jesus is still trying to reclaim, that Jesus is still using his church to batter against the gates of hell. And so here's what I want to challenge you to do, okay? Because we are part of this church, Right? God has called us to help exchange everyday life for contagious Christian community. So think about a person, one person, one person whom you know is far from God right now, whose eternity with God is in serious jeopardy right now. And it could be anybody, okay? But think about that person. Ask God for the courage, the power of the Holy Spirit to flow into your, life, your heart and life, give you the courage, and to provide opportunities for you to batter against those gates of hell too. To join Jesus in his church and reclaim those people. And it can happen in any number of ways. It might be that you just invite them over for a bonfire. It's going to be a good night tonight for a bonfire. Maybe it's just over for a barbecue or to an Indians game or just having them a chance to get to know them and build a relationship with them because once you build that relationship with them, you earn trust. And when you earn their trust, then you can share with them what God has done in your life and how he has blessed you through Jesus. And guess what happens? The gates of hell are battered again and again. Or maybe you just invite them to a place like this. Right? Where they can hear firsthand about God's unconditional love for them in Jesus. Where the Holy Spirit can work saving faith in their hearts and their lives. And the gates of hell are battered again and again. See how it works? It doesn't matter how you do it or what you do. I want to challenge you as part of the church to join Jesus in reclaiming the lost. In battering against those gates of hell. So that these people whom we know may be far away from God are drawn close by the work of the Spirit. And so that they don't live in fear, but in great confidence too. All right, so let me just challenge you this week in a couple of ways. We talked about some pretty heavy stuff, but in light of hell, first of all, first and foremost, give thanks that no one wants you in heaven more than God. Give thanks that God's greatest desire, his deepest longing is for you, along with everyone else, to spend forever with him in heaven where there's this nonstop joy of community and intimacy. Give thanks. Second, celebrate that nothing will separate you from God's love in Jesus Christ. 
You have free will, just like everybody else out there in the world. And yes, you use that free will to do the wrong thing, to make poor choices. But you can celebrate the fact that even when you do sin, you can go to God in humble confession and repent of that sin and know, trust, that because of that love that will never, ever go away for you, God will forgive you and restore you. So celebrate that. And then here's the third one. This is the biggie. Batter the gates of hell by helping Jesus reclaim the lost. Between now and next Sunday, think of one person. Start praying for that person. Start praying for opportunities for you to touch, reach out to that person. Start praying that God will work through you. And, and I don't know, maybe just share the Jesus you know, or maybe you invite him to church, or maybe you just sit down and get to know him a little bit better so you can build that relationship with him, but you want to help them exchange everyday life for contagious Christian community. You want to help them understand who Jesus is and what he has done so that by the work in the Holy, of the Holy Spirit, they too will not live in fear. Not in the fear of hell, oh no. But because of Jesus, live in the great confidence that heaven is their forever home too. So let's pray about that, all right? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, heavy topic today. But we thank and praise you for the gift of your son Jesus, through whom all people are saved. All people are given this promised gift, this hope of an eternity with you in heaven. Thank you for teaching us about the awful and terrible reality of hell. And allow what we've learned today to motivate us into action. And as part of your church, to reclaim those who are lost. To batter against the gates of hell itself. Father, thank you for this series. Continue to bless it and bless us through it. We love you. And we pray all this in Jesus' great and holy name. And all God's people said, amen.